October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and you know what that means. Yep. It means our listeners are going to see endless amounts of coverage about how susceptible their financial institutions are to cyber attacks. But there's a good reason for all the coverage. According to ITSP Magazine, financial services firms get hit with cyber attacks 300 times more frequently than businesses in other industries. So we wanted to know, why are financial institutions such easy targets for cyber criminals? Cyber attacks in today's world, the vast majority of times, are financially motivated. And so what industry is more ripe to focus on than an industry that focuses on money? I'm Andy Goldstein. I'm Laura Sewell, and you're listening to Fintech Focus from CSI. According to a report from Accenture, the average cost of cybercrime for financial services companies globally has increased by more than 40% over the past three years. Stats like this cause many in our industry, including our guest, to believe that when it comes to dealing with a cyber attack, it's not a matter of if, but when. Here to celebrate National Cybersecurity Awareness Month by <laughs> answering all of our cybersecurity questions is Steve Sanders, CSI's Vice President of Internal Audit. Welcome to FinTech Focus, Steve. Thanks for coming on the show and celebrating National Cybersecurity Awareness Month with us. Oh, I'm happy to do it. Thanks, Andy. So what does National Cybersecurity Awareness Month mean to you? You know, Andy, I think the big thing to keep in mind with National Cybersecurity Awareness Month is it is a, a great opportunity for cybersecurity professionals to reiterate a message out to our audiences. The, the world we live in is different now, and everyone needs to understand that. National Cybersecurity Awareness Month has begun to gain steam over the last several years, and we're beginning to see consistent messages that are being pushed out by professionals to uh, to not only business folks, but, but everyday folks as well, even in their, their personal lives. With, with that, I think the message that we're reiterating most is that we can't assume someone else is protecting us. We can't assume that someone else is going to take that burden, even in the most secure environments. Some responsibility always comes back to the users of systems. And so, again, I think it's a good time for us to reiterate that message, that message of cyber awareness to everybody, being cyber aware all the time while the audience is receptive and while the opportunity for reinforcement is there. Steve, as we mentioned at the top of the show, financial services firms get hit with cyber attacks 300 times more frequently than businesses in other industries. Why is that? Well, Laura, the, the answer to that's really multifaceted. It's not, not just a simple answer. The, the most obvious answer, and, and really the one that should, should be mentioned in any conversation, is simply follow the money trail. Mm-hmm. We, we are finding that cyber attacks in today's world – the vast majority of times are financially motivated. In fact, there's one study out there that says as many as 95% of all cyber attacks are motivated by the money. And so what industry is more ripe to, uh, to focus on than an industry that focuses on money, such as financial services? Now, the second thing that we need to keep in mind is that while we are doing a really good job in a lot of areas when it comes to cybersecurity, there's still a bit of a hesitation within financial services to hire qualified CISOs, CISOs, with more depth to their experience than just IT. And of course, CISO is short for Chief Information Security Officer, right? Absolutely. And that plays into this as well. We're, we're finding that our financial institutions 
aren't always as prepared for cyber attacks as they need to be. They they don't always have the full breadth and depth of security posture in place that they need. And then finally, one aspect that we often forget that in our financial institutions today, we aren't just having to secure ourselves. We're not just having to put in place a solid infrastructure from a technical perspective and ensure that we have a qualified staff. But in financial institutions, we have to be concerned about our customers too. They play into this. And so we we have to keep in mind that, that our role expands beyond the roles of most businesses. And I think that that leads into why we see more cyber attacks against financial institutions than we do many other businesses. Steve, you mentioned a hesitation by financial institutions to hire CISOs. Why would that be? Why, why the hesitation? You know, I think that the big reason is, frankly, qualified CISOs are, number one, hard to find, and number mm-hmm. two, they're not cheap. Uh, the second thing that I think, unfortunately, plays into this a little bit is a lack of understanding about what the role of a CISO is. In many people's mind, a CISO is simply the most uh, technical person you have that understands security. And that's not really an adequate CISO in today's world. A CISO needs to be someone who can bridge the gap between the business and between the technical part of the company. And I've said a number of times in many of the presentations that I've done that cybersecurity is not an IT risk. It is a business risk. And until we're putting qualified CISOs in place who understand that, we're not going to stop the problem. This this is not a problem that can be solved totally through technology. You deliver speaking engagements across the country on cybersecurity. And, and one of the things you've been talking about lately is understanding the quote-unquote new normal posed by today's cybersecurity threats. Explain to us what you mean by that. When I give that presentation, a lot of times what I'm focusing on is the implementation of frameworks and, and good uh, risk-based strategies that will uh, increase our cybersecurity posture. But here's the fact of the matter. The new normal is simply this. Cyber attacks aren't going away. In almost every year, when we compare it to the year prior, we're finding more attacks than the year before. That's not even the most concerning part. The most concerning part is that those attacks are getting more complex every year. Why is that, do you think? Well, I think that that we're always at a disadvantage, frankly, when when we are defending because attackers – uh, always have the element of surprise yeah. uh, against the defender, and the attackers are getting more sophisticated too. You know, when I when I first began having an interest in in cybersecurity long before that term was was even coined, the the attacks were primarily coming from a group of people we would call script kiddies. It was typically young teenage boys who who had some interest in in validating themselves, frankly, and they would purchase a a hack off the internet, or they would create one themselves, and they would go out and they'd cause a little damage. And so they weren't necessarily trying to get money out of this, and the attacks weren't necessarily very sophisticated. But when you when you start putting financial motivation behind it, and realizing, by the way, there's a 1,200% rate of return on hacking. There, there's almost no business person in the world that would not consider a business opportunity with a 1,200% rate of return. However, this is one that <laughs> that is morally wrong. Yeah. But that is what is driving this. And so with, with such a high rate of return 
there's a lot of investment going into into putting together very mature cyber attacks. And unfortunately, what we're finding is that these attackers are oftentimes going back and they're reusing or repurposing old attacks. And so they're not just rerunning the old attack because we, we've put into place a, a wall or a door to stop that attack. But they're going in and they're re-engineering that attack and running it again, and we don't have a way to stop the attack the second time. They're learning from the first time they ran that attack. Many times, running one uh, an attack that is years old, and they're coming back and rerunning that against us. And and really, the the second part of that is by adding complexity to this, our traditional systems aren't as easily able to detect and to stop those attacks. You ask about what this new normal means to us. If I can add just a little bit more onto that, Mm -hmm. it means that we have to do everything we can to stop the attacks. That begins with an appropriate framework, and that is the, the message that everyone needs to hear out of this. Without a framework, you really don't know what you have. The framework is, is the structure in which you build your cybersecurity program around. And then from there, that framework needs to be including adequate technical measures and adequate human measures or, or human training, for a, a lack of better terms. But unfortunately, it isn't enough. When we're talking about the new normal, we have to always function under the premise that that an attack is going to be successful. And and frankly, that means we need to be prepared for an incident response measure. We need to to have a plan in place to respond to those incidents as well as we possibly can because at the end of the day, we're all going to face cyber attacks. The winners are going to be the ones who understand how to respond to it. You're listening to FinTech Focus. We're talking about all things cybersecurity with Steve Sanders, CSI's Vice President of Internal Audit. You started talking about frameworks, um, and there are several out there. Is there a specific framework you recommend, and how do financial institutions go about choosing one and and implementing one? That is a fantastic question. Um, Let's first start with the frameworks. There there are really uh, what I would call four big frameworks that should be considered by by financial institutions. The first of those four is one that is called the CAD, and everyone should be familiar with the CAD. It's the Cybersecurity Assessment Tool. Uh, That's actually a a tool that was uh, designed uh, with financial institutions in mind, and it was based off the NIST Cybersecurity Framework. It is, frankly, a basic framework. But it is one that every financial institution should start with because it's customized financial institutions. Unfortunately, that's not enough, though. And, and it, I, I think as, as financial institutions begin to mature their posture, they need to be considering one of the other frameworks. Now, the other three are the one I've just mentioned a moment ago, the NIST Cybersecurity Framework, NIST 800-53, and the ISO 27000 Framework. Now, it, each of those was kind of mentioned in a in a deliberate order. The CAT being the one that that has the least coverage. The NIST Cybersecurity Framework has more coverage than the CAT, but it's still not even half of the coverage of uh, ISO twenty seven thousand. Now, sorry, when you say coverage, what do you mean by that? Well, it's just not as robust. It, okay. it doesn't cover as many aspects. And and you know the thing is, Andy, we have to always be considering. Uh, cost versus benefit, frankly. And so ISO 27000 is the most robust framework out there. 
I don't know that I would recommend that framework to any financial institution. Hmm. It is it is not designed for financial institutions, number one. And number two, it is a very complex framework. I, I think if a financial institution is really trying to get the most bang for their buck, they need to be aiming for NIST 853, okay. and that is a tough framework. That is not one that you're just going to walk into. And as I said a minute ago, I think we have to begin with the CAT. That gives a good introduction to a framework. And and a a financial institution might choose to graduate, if you will, from the CAT to the cybersecurity framework and then from the cybersecurity framework into 800-53. But here's one thing that that, uh, particularly banks need to keep in mind, and, and I would say national banks most specifically, the OCC is expecting to see the cat. And so if you're a national bank, you have to be considering that. Okay. And so it may mean that you have to do multiple frameworks. But really, NIST 853 is where things are going. And, and in all the conversations I'm having with uh, federal banking regulators, they are pointing to NIST 853. But there, there's no requirement, there's no uh, compliance measure that says that financial institutions have to use these frameworks, right? There, there is only an expectation that they will use a framework. Okay. Uh, and there's no, no defined framework that they have to use except in the case of the OCC and the national banks. Now, the OCC will not tell them they have to use the CAT, but the OCC regulators are coming into banks expecting to see the CAT. And so I think it, it, uh, it really makes sense for a national bank to – uh, to pay very much attention to that. Now, uh, unfortunately, and, and Laura, getting back to the question you asked a moment ago, it, this isn't just as simple as understanding the frameworks, right? These frameworks are out there. Anybody can go get them. But but what do we do with the frameworks once you get them? Here's the sad truth that I am seeing. In many financial institutions, particularly smaller financial institutions, this is an assignment that is given to someone who already has a full-time job. And they are expected to just complete this in, in the spare time that they have. This is not being taken as seriously in those institutions as it needs to be. It, it really needs to become a part of their culture. Well, And going back to what you were saying earlier, if it, this is the job of the chief information security officer, right? Like this is what you have a CISO for. Absolutely. Yeah. It, and the unfortunate thing is sometimes we're seeing CISOs that are also loan officers. And, and maybe in some cases it has to be that way because of the size of the bank. Mm-hmm. But if a CISO is, is focused on cybersecurity, this really should be a, a big part of what they do. And, and you know, we, we often hear when we talk about frameworks that this is something that is an ongoing process and should be refreshed at least annually. I would call bull on that. <laughs> I, frankly, I think it needs to be refreshed continually. Mm-hmm. Well, technology doesn't stop evolving, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Neither do the risks. And so I think that a good CISO would be continually keeping their finger on the pulse of that framework. And then, uh, frankly, from there, the CISO should be turning around and making sure that their senior management team and the board of directors are highly aware of the outcome of that framework. And, and this is the part that a lot of uh, financial institutions are missing. The outcome of the framework is not just an exercise and report that is issued. The outcome of the framework should be from a, from a CISO who knows what they're doing. The outcome should be a plan of action 
to be sure that the financial institution is at the cybersecurity posture they need to be at, at that level they need to be at. And that should be something determined through a pretty robust discussion at a board level to understand where are we at? Are we happy with this? Is this where we want to be? And if not, what is it going to take for us to get to the next level? Are there cybersecurity strategies that you recommend that are good for mitigating attacks? Absolutely. Uh, Let me begin with a simple statement. Don't boil the ocean. You aren't going to fix everything at once. And that is, I think, where we sometimes find the overwhelm in the process is that there's so much that we could focus on. We we struggle to know where to put that attention. There happens to be a, a really valuable tool out there. It's called the CIS Top 20. I am a huge fan of the CIS Top 20. It is not a framework, though some people are using it as a framework. I, I advise strongly against that. It wasn't designed to be a framework. It is a supplement to a framework. What the CIS Top 20 is, it is a prioritized list of actionable steps that you can take to increase your cybersecurity posture. And by that, let me step back and further define what I mean by prioritized list. That sounds simple, and it really is. There are 20 items. Item number one is the item you need to focus on most. Item number two is the second most important item, all the way down to the 20th. Now, what has been determined, if you implement the first five of these 20 items, you can reduce the risk of a successful cyber attack against your institution by 85%. Wow. So what are the five? I mean, that that's the question I would be asking if I were anyone out there. And, and let me preface this by saying this isn't quite as simple as the, the short five statements I'm going to make or the, the, the blips I'm going to give on all five. There's, there's a little bit more behind each of these, and I highly encourage everybody to go download the CIS Top 20. It's a free download. You do have to register to get it, but it's a free download. And it gives you basically a map to follow and tells you everything you need to do to implement each of these 20 steps. After a quick break, Steve's going to tell you the five things you need to be doing right now to significantly reduce the risk of a successful cyber attack at your institution. You're listening to FinTech Focus from CSI. Today's bank branches are facing extinction. Branch traffic and transactions are steadily decreasing. However, studies show that consumers expect more when they do visit the branch. There isn't one branch strategy that fits every bank, but there is one element that should be a part of every branch strategy. Find out what it is in our free branch optimization ebook at csiweb.com slash omnichannel. Download the book today to start building the branch of tomorrow. That's csiweb.com slash omnichannel. So the, the first five are really very simple steps. Number one, inventory and control of hardware assets. You have to understand what hardware you have, and you have to be in control of that hardware. Number two, inventory and control of software assets. Just like with hardware, if we don't know what software is installed and we aren't in control of that software, then that software becomes a vulnerability, not an asset. Third, continuous vulnerability management. Years ago, when I first began doing consulting in this field, I I, I can remember that it was unusual to find a bank that was doing an annual vulnerability scan. And now, 
if you're not doing quarterly vulnerability scans, you're you're really way out of touch with reality. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you need to be doing them much more than that. Monthly is is where I find a lot of institutions landing because that's a good balance between, again, the cost and the benefit. But the the ideal mature financial institution will be running continuous vulnerability scans in a vulnerability management program. Fourth, controlled use of administrator privileges. And this is most simply said in this way. Everything within your infrastructure should operate off a need-to-know basis. Mm-hmm. If you do not need access, you should not have access. That That comes with not only administrative privileges, but accesses to resources. The more things you have access to, the more impacting a hack on your machine or your credentials becomes. And then finally, to round out this top five, is secure configurations for your hardware and software. You need to understand when you implement a Windows device, what configurations do you expect to be implemented? And how are you how are you ensuring that's done? Are you using images so you can roll these out easily and you understand what those images look like? And and the same goes for software. How are you ensuring that your software is configured as solidly as it needs to be? Steve, this is all, you know, excellent advice. One thing I want to know that I don't think we really talked about is what are some of those top attack vectors out there right now? What are you what are you seeing the most? Well, let's talk about the, the the one that is most often used in successful attacks first, and, and it's the one that we have to put the most emphasis on, and that is what I would call the human factor, and, and phishing is what we see most often. But, but frankly, the weakest link in our systems will always be humans. While humans have this fantastic ability to think and to do things that machines can't do, humans have natural weaknesses as well. That is the number one attack that we are seeing, is attack on human beings. But we're also seeing several other things. We are seeing more and more attacks against uh, financial institutions when it comes to uh, falsified wiring uh, attempts. So, you know, in a successful uh, fraudulent attempt to wire money, the, the attacker can end up with a great sum of money in a very short period of time. We're also seeing continued attacks against ATMs, and that is all the more reason we need to be sure that we are securing those ATMs as well as we possibly can. But then we we continue to face things like ransomware and and traditional uh, malware that's been around for years. The ransomware is a particularly interesting attack because it has the ability to absolutely shut a financial institution down if it is successful. Or an entire city, as we saw in Atlanta in March, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the interesting thing about the ransomware attacks is they're one of the easiest attacks to defend against with adequate backups. Yeah, but but unfortunately we don't have that now. Another interesting aspect of of ransomware attacks is when they began, oftentimes you would pay the money and you would not end up getting anything out of it. In today's world, they're unencrypting your data. This is a financial uh, a business for them, really, and so they they want your data to be unencrypted. So you know, there's there's a, a bit more opportunity for us to get out of a mess with a ransomware attack. But the truth is, if we had adequate backups, we would many times not really feel much of an impact other than restoring machines. So going back to, you know, the human factor, um, obviously that's uh, employee education and and also maybe um, customer education. 
can you give us a, a, just a couple of main things that institutions can do to educate employees on not clicking on those emails or, or opening links? Yeah, there's, there's really a, a few different things that I think institutions need to be doing. The, the first is obviously training, and the, the training we need that, that we do needs to mature. Uh, for a number of years now, the training at, at every financial institution in the country has been a computerized training with a robotic voice reading to you a script. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the end, you answer five questions, and you all of a sudden have signified you're a cybersecurity expert. But that robotic voice training is not adequate. Mm-hmm. No one learns from that. Right. All that, all that is is a checkbox exercise. So we need to be bringing in qualified trainers people who can engage the audiences at financial institutions and teach them what they need to understand to be cyber-aware citizens. And that really extends out to the, to the customers of the bank and, frankly, to the community at large. I think banks have an obligation. Because of their role and their stature in their communities, they have an obligation to be on the forefront of this. And there is a grand opportunity to begin to teach the community how to be cyber-aware citizens either. And, and you know, I, I guess one of the strongest things I think a, a bank could do to, to improve their posture, their cybersecurity posture, is to have a cyber-aware community. Mm-hmm. People that aren't falling for these tricks. And so that that's really the first thing. The second thing is testing. We have to have adequate testing. And so we, we what that involves is we need to be running these continual phishing attempts, these continual uh, other robust social engineering attacks against ourselves to see how vulnerable vulnerable we are. And through that, we need to be educating our users more and more of what a successful attack would look like. And, you know, years ago, it it was uh, not uncommon for us to come down very hard on someone who fell for a cyber attack, a a social engineering attack. Public shaming. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. The the thing is, it's, it's changed so much now, though. These attacks are so good. Yeah, and as... And, and, and I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but and I know that I've, I've I've heard you speak to this, and certainly some of the other the other folks on our staff, and and we mentioned at the top of the show, like it it really is not a matter of if, but when these attacks are so good and they're so sophisticated, and no matter what you do, and as you said earlier, you can't boil the ocean, right? So no matter how much prep you put in, and I hate to say this because I feel like we're going to scare everybody listening, but you should be prepared that something is going to happen to you at, at some point in time. Absolutely, and that's an aspect of the training that we don't often think about. What do you do if the attack is successful? How do you react? If I can leave everybody with with a couple of last comments. Sure. Short. Number one, never feel too safe. Nobody out there is immune to attacks, and so you have to be considering how you respond, as we've mentioned a couple of times already. Cannot be stressed enough. And then number two, if I were sitting in the role of a CISO at, at a community financial institution, my goal would be to have the most cyber-aware staff possible. That is the strongest thing you can mm-hmm. do to improve your cybersecurity posture. Steve, this has been just such valuable information, and we appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing it with us. We, we know you're busy. In fact, you're on the road now. Um, and we look forward to hearing much more of this during the semi-annual cybersecurity webinar on October 25th. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Steve. Oh, absolutely. 
That's it for this week's episode of FinTech Focus. Thanks again to Steve Sanders for joining us, and thanks to all of you for listening. To learn more about protecting your institution from cyber attacks, head to csiweb.com to register for our free semi-annual cybersecurity webinar on Thursday, October 25th. Steve Sanders is hosting the webinar, along with a special guest from Forrester. While you're registering for the webinar, you can also listen to previous episodes of this show and check out other great CSI content, like case studies, videos, white papers, and much more. It's great to have you along this week, and we'll see you next time. We'll be right back.